All right. Uh, My name is Aaron Rhodes, and you're listening to the Shuttlecock Podcast. I'm here today with Sid Souter. How are you doing? I'm very good. Thank you for having me. No problem. Uh, Yeah, and Sid runs uh, TooMuchRock.com, and that's a Kansas City mainly music blog that's Mm -hmm. been up for uh, at least a little over 20 years now. Yep. And yeah, we were we before we were recording here, we were kind of discussing uh, Kansas City music blogs of the past, and you brought up one called uh, The Zone that I was just completely unfamiliar with. Yeah, I think if you were active in the, the Kansas City and Lawrence music scene um, in the, the, the late 90s, um, um, even, even into the early 2000s, The Zone would have been your Bible. Um, it was um, a, a website that covered... Um, kind of um, maybe mainstream venues more so than, you know, the basement shows or um, the house shows that uh, that you deal with a lot. But um, it covered live music, and I think more importantly, it covered um, just about every bit of music that was released. Everybody who put out a, a record or, or CD, as was most the case then, um, it always got a review on The Zone, and that was something that every local band submitted for and was looking forward to seeing what was written Mm. and i don't know like you see like so many like just real like completely mediocre band camp links these days sometimes like do you do you really wish that there was a review on every one of those um i think I think Bandcamp has the ability to put out anything, right? Yeah. So, I mean, we could spend the next 10 minutes, and I saw an auto harp in here and a guitar, and we could record something and put it on Bandcamp. And I don't think anyone wants to review that, and I don't think anyone would want to read yeah. that review. So, um, like, when, when stuff was still being yeah. physically mainly, that like, that kind of sets a bar, you Right. Think? When there was a barrier for entry, um, people were um, more likely to... Um, put things out that at least they had a lot more effort into or uh, felt a, a lot stronger about rather than kind of just throwing things at the wall for the immediacy. And, and there's, it's great to have that experimentation, that outlet, but yeah, a lot of the times uh, things you're going to find on SoundCloud and, and Bandcamp just um, um, are, are people's incomplete ideas. Yeah, and it's not even super hard to tell by like the artwork and then like the first 10 seconds of whatever you click on that it's it's not quite worthwhile for you so yeah i i know that you know thinking way back into the the, the early 80s world of punk and, and hardcore there are recordings out there that are horrible hiss filled that are so important um and kind of foundational um but for the most part um uh they serve a role in history more so than something that you're going to want to listen to again and again you're much happier that uh you know that that recording actually happened if in a better in better environment mm. and um so what what other like blogs and outlets over the years that you've seen have like kind of won your attention would you say oh gosh um and you know this is going to be a history lesson oh, I think, it, it doesn't have to be <laughs> <laughs> uh, no I, I think that there were uh a, a few um that kind of came and went that were mostly uh digital um, in the in the late '90s and early 2000s, um, I think the zone was just so popular that um, I think and a lot of people would contribute to that. So I think there were less 
other people out there. Um, now when I go to a show, there are, you know, five different people with cameras shooting for a particular um, uh, website or blog or just their feed on, you know, Twitter or Facebook or whatever the case is, uh, where that wasn't so much the case back then. Uh, again, part of that was just barrier to, uh, of entry. Um, it just wasn't as easy um, then. Um, uh, so now you've got a lot more voices. But I, I don't I don't recall the, the other the other blogs that, that I read at that time. Uh, I remember Zone just being so important, um, and I definitely was um, just the upstart outsider. Um, and occasionally I would write things for the Zone because I wanted a bigger audience than what my own uh, my own website would would provide. I think now um, you've got a number of sites that exist in, in Kansas City that uh, I just definitely dwarfs anything that had been there in the past. Um, and uh, uh, it, different uh, levels of aspiration and interest. Uh, some people just um, documenting where they are, and it's a, it's a blurry Instagram story of this is the show I'm at, mm-hmm. and some people really looking at this as um, this is their career. So I, I think both of those have valid things to offer, um, and I enjoy both. Mm-hmm. And... I, I don't, like, at least since I've been following your work, I haven't seen you contribute to really any other websites or magazines or anything. Is, is there a reason for that specifically, or do you just prefer to keep it as a hobby? Uh, no one's asked. Yeah. Um, no, I, I think for the, for the most part I'm busy. Mm. Um, and uh, occasionally I'll, I'll think, well, I want something that, I, I want to build something longer form. I want to write something. I want to write a feature, uh, things of that sort. But I'm just so busy that I don't think I can commit to doing that for someone else where there's a particular deadline or um, that, that needs to be met or um, just playing by the rules. I mean, um, I've done uh, too much rock for so long, and, and the focus has always been just this is my life as it is, whether it's what shows I go to, what, what, uh, um, or the podcast, what music I get every week. Um, it's just a dump. Um, and I don't, um, I don't try to, um, curate it in any way for a particular audience. It's curated for what I want to do with my life. And if, if you want to in, engage in that, um, if they're interested in that, that's great. Um, I mean, the origin of too much rock was there was, too much rock for me to write about in a zine, uh, a paper zine that came out every quarter. Um, reading a review of a show that happened, you know, two months ago was was not particularly interesting, um, and so that's how the website was born. Just because there was too much rock for me to cover with a paper zine. Was was the paper zine called Too Much Rock or? Uh, no, the paper zine was called Urinine. Mm. Uh, it uh, I had a record label of the same name, but the zine uh, was Urinine, and it ran from. 93 to 97 something of that sort and i know via too much rock you've put out singles from like the uncouth and what other uh you didn't uh, which which jail <laughs> which jail shurvon um berwinger um rev gusto uncouth um yeah those are the, i think the five i've done and i think it's a cool setup that you do is you just uh, raise the funds yourself to put the record out and you give half to the band and you sell half on your own? I give them all to the band. Oh, you give them all? Okay. Yeah. yeah for, for years I ran a record label in town, um, Year 9 Records, and uh, from from a kind of local's 
I don't know. I think, you know, Nameless Number Headman, The Capsules uh, were probably the biggest local bands on the label. And it got to the point where um, when I was in, in Boston, I had three or four interns. I was working on it full time. I was spending $20,000 on a release between um, uh, the, the recording and the promotion and, and, and all that and found I was fighting with you know, Warner Brothers and the major labels to try to get the same space in magazines or air on MTV or whatever and uh, realized that was ridiculous. When I started the, the label in, um, in, in the early 90s, it was really... Um, putting out records that my for my friends that there's the bars wouldn't you know let those bands play and the magazines certainly weren't going to cover them and it was like this is something separate and different. By the time it was two thousand and or, or you know, two thousand and three, the the music industry had changed enough that we we're kind of in the same space and you're just never going to win that battle. So I realized rather than spending twenty thousand dollars trying to promote a record and working so hard and losing most of that money, um, maybe not most, but still losing money on every release, I'd much rather just spend $1,500, put out a record from a band that I think needs some help, um, and give them away. I'm losing the same amount of money I did before, but now I don't have all the headaches of trying to be the guy that's uh, trying to arrange distribution and promotion and, and all those things. I just hand them to the band and let them do with them what they will. Hmm. And so obviously like some of the bands that you've put out through the Too Much Rock single series have been ones that, you know, maybe like local favorites of yours and bands that you go see a lot. But what would you consider some of like, I mean, maybe you don't have this thing in your head, but I feel like on Shuttlecock, I kind of do have like, a set of bands and artists that I do like go to almost every show of and all that. So like, what, what do you think some of like the, the most covered too much rock acts have been over the years? Oh, um, I was looking at this the other day and there are some bands that I have, uh, shot probably, uh, 11 or 12 times. I think, um, especially if you count all of Josh Berwinger's projects, uh, it's probably been like 25 if you count yep. all the anniversary shows as well as um, his his Berwinger outfits and then Radar State as well. So lots of coverage uh, for them. It seems like I've seen the whiffs like six times in the last six days. I mean, they're just constantly playing, and I love it every time. Um, uh, so I've covered them a lot. Schwervon I have seen a ton. Um, they are my favorite band in Kansas City, I think. So um, they can't. I can't see them enough. What, what what makes that group special to you? I think one, they're wonderful people. Um, and they are always anytime they they play a show with somebody else, they are always up front watching the other bands play. And they are usually dancing to the other bands. Um, they're just really supportive of other people um, and building um, the scene, which is interesting. And they, they Matt started in in Kansas City, and um, you know bands way back when uh, then they moved to um, uh, New York and he was there in the Lower East Side for a while part of that uh, early anti-folk or freak folk or whatever scene um, uh, but then coming back here um, and just immediately jumped in the scene and kept 
continuing to build it. And so they're always out supporting other bands. I see them at shows all the time, uh, which is amazing for a band who, like, every year does a tour of Europe and does, like, at least two tours of, of most of the U.S. I mean, they're just amazing that when they're home, they're not just hibernating or working like crazy trying to make money to go out and do it all again. Um, musically, I think I, I, just, I just love them. I like Matt's big guitar. I think it's, it's, it's big and muscular and uh, just, uh, I don't know, driving and nice. And then uh, I think the lyrics are just smart. Um, and I think that uh, the interaction between Matt and Nan is uh, really good as well. Um, I, like, I like couples in bands. I like to watch them look at each other and the way they communicate with each other via just nods or glances or smiles and know that they're planning on what's next or they're saying, man, you just messed up there. I can't believe you did that. And um, I, I think that's fun. Mm. Um, so yeah, you've told, you've, you've told me about um, a couple show stories that you've had, and I think they're both pretty entertaining. You were telling me about the two times where you've felt scared for your life at different shows. Yeah, um, I think that uh, <laughs> um, in in um, Indianapolis, a show at um, gosh, uh, I forget the name of the venue now, the Emerson, uh, an old movie theater that was converted to a show space, and it may still be around. It was definitely a mainstay in the in the early '90s, um, even late '80s, I think. Um, but I saw. Um, Anal Cunt play there, and the band was surly, um, and they were always surly, and that was kind of their their gig. Um, but um, someone had started um, uh, antagonizing the band, and it went back and forth. And someone from the crowd threw an empty trash can, or just a rubber trash can, rubber made up there, and it just bounced on the stage. And Seth, the singer, kicked it back at him and said, "You know, try again." And the guy did it again, and he hit the drummer. And the drummer immediately jumped up, chased the guy down like the center aisle because it was a movie theater, chased him out. We all kind of filed through there and followed it and watched the drummer beat the guy up on the sidewalk and then come back in and then they continued the set there. Um, Throughout that set, people continued to throw things um, and they were throwing like heavy bar stools, like the kind that have the big padded top and metal legs, throwing them at the band and the band throwing them back at the audience and it really one of those things if you weren't paying attention you got clocked with one of those I mean it could be the end so I was some of that show I was hiding behind the mains like I I don't want to be part of this one were you you taking pictures of that one no Um, (laughs) I might be a good thing (laughs) I've lost a camera there yeah I I have lost a camera before at a um uh a a casket lottery show at the hurricane Hmm. I was uh, right up front uh, shooting the band, and in those days, I kind of used to be front and center um, and stay there the whole time and block everyone's view, and I'm sure they all hated me. But um, I was front and center, and uh, something was wrong with Stacy's bass, and it was cutting out, and he was mad at it, and he, he was mocking like he was going to smash it on the stage. And um, every, everyone was like cheering him on, like, do it, do it, do it. And I don't think he really wanted to, but then once they cheered him on, he's like, I've, I've got to. So I've got the camera out because this is going to be a great shot, right? Somebody's smashing their, their, their base. But as he swung down and hit it, I had the camera up in front of my face. A piece of wood came and shot in directly and <laughs> shattered the lens. Oh, man. So like if 
my camera wasn't there and my glasses or whatever, I could like ended up with the big stick in the eye. Um, so I did lose that camera, hmm. and it RIP. after it broke, I just kind of looked at it and went. I think I pulled the battery out and just rolled it up on stage on him and left the show. I was so mad. Which, I mean, obviously it was, wasn't their fault and he was just doing it because he's rock and roller and that's what rock and rollers do. Um, and later the band helped me buy a new camera. So that was very nice of them, something no, they is. didn't need to do. But yeah, so that's the only camera I've lost. Um, I had one stolen at a show at El Torian once, but uh, that's not as exciting of a story. Is that is that a venue that you covered pretty heavily? Yeah, I did a lot of the booking at El Torian from, uh, oh, I don't know, 2000 to 2002, something of that sort. Anytime that there was a show that was more math rock or indie rock or uh, any show that other people didn't really want to go to that was probably the show that i booked the rest of the the shows were really mostly booked by uh brian and it was a lot of street punk and punk then um and that was an interesting venue because it wasn't really like the bars it wasn't um uh, quite as, as as commercial as those things though some of those bands did play there um, but it also was the basement shows too. I mean, bands like When Good Robots Go Bad or Chimera or bands that were playing house shows were also playing their biggest shows at El Torian. Um, so uh, that was an interesting venue when that was around. Yeah, because uh, Bonsai USA played their final show last week in the the renovated version of that building, and that was like an like the whole night you were just hearing like stories of like the old venue and all that. So that was kind of an interesting moment. Yeah. When, when they did their remodel, um, uh, one of the guys that was a member of the church brought me in and kind of gave me the tour of everything they've done. And they'd done a, a lot. I mean, over, over time, uh, El Torian changed quite a bit. I mean, we started off doing shows in the, in the, in the big room, um, where the garage bays were and then moved into the side room, I think where this show actually was. Mm. Um, and, you know, went from smaller stages to big stages back to smaller stages. Sound got better. For a while, we had a bar. We didn't have a liquor license, but we had a catering permit for every show. Mm. But we had like a 12-foot chain link fence between the bar and the rest of the club so that we could have still have all-ages shows. So that it was like a special catered, catered area, but like everyone had to stay behind a chain link fence like they were in a cage. It was not ideal, but it was hard to get some people to show up for some shows that um in a in a venue with no alcohol so then that was kind of the the compromise that's good i remember lots of lots of el torian stories um bigger bands that played there that were crazy and confused man of war played there it's the only band that has ever refused to let me take pictures of them wow their uh, press agent said absolutely no photos we'll send you photos that you can run um, so I guess they were worried I might catch the bald spots or something and, and, and publish those. And there was a, uh, a Fugazi show where um, I was, I think I was at the door, uh, but what was being used as a green room for the band, and somebody came up and said, hey, there's two people over there having sex on the piano. And I was like, I'm not sure exactly what to do about that. But so I walked over, uh, maybe out of curiosity more than anything else, and, uh, and told them to to move on. But uh, yeah, sex on the piano at a Fugazi show at the El Torian. It's very strange. Yes, M- most of the stories I hear that are just plain violent, but that that's one of the stranger ones I've heard. 
Yeah, I don't remember a whole lot of uh, violence, honestly. Hmm. Um, Maybe that's because you were doing the math rock shows. Yeah. Um, I remember uh, when Good Robots Go Bad might have been like their last show, but they had built giant cardboard robots, and there was a big robot royale battle at the end, but uh, um, I don't remember a lot of uh, fights or just violent pits or anything like that. I don't know. I, <laughs> I, I didn't mean for this to just get it to be a conversation about just like violent stuff at shows, but <laughs> it's kind of fun to talk about. Um, well, but I'm surprised you didn't see more stuff like that when you were like, cause you're, you're a pretty big, like oi punk fan, aren't you? So like, I figure some of those shows get pretty wild. I don't know. Yeah. I, I think most of that, most of the time that I've seen any real violence on those, it's kind of on the periphery of the show. Hmm. Um, People hanging out in the alley afterwards or during bands or whatever that have spoken badly to somebody else and then somebody gets a beat down. Or uh, I think even uh, I was a show at, at Davies not long ago where somebody got out of hand and got kicked out and then he, he got mad and like kicked over somebody's motorcycle or something oh. on the way out and then he got chased down and um, I think a stern talking to probably. <laughs> I'm not sure exactly what happened there. But I, I don't usually see it at the show. I usually see it like just outside the show. Oh yeah, that's good. Like Kansas City is a, at least like a very I wouldn't consider it a violent scene in many in no any aspect. No, I don't. I don't think so. Like, I, like at least at least not anymore. Like people would be telling me stories about from like ten years ago where that kind of stuff would happen, but can't think of anything recent. Not where I am, evidently, and that's okay. Um, yeah. When when. I, I don't understand. Like, for example, uh, on a recent episode of the, the Shuttlecock podcast, he had a guest on talk about how great it was, like various things were getting smashed. And I'm always like, what about, what do those chairs do? <laughs> Why does everyone hate chairs so no, much? Yeah, that, that's, a, that's a recurring thing at a lot of the hardcore shows, just smashing chairs and whatnot. Oh, it was a bummer. Someone smashed open just a big like a wholesale can of like baked beans and i was just like if that gets on my pants i'm not gonna be happy about it you weren't wearing new kicks were you no i oh my my vans are pretty broken in at this point so i wouldn't be too worried but i did like someone busted open a paint can at gacy's place one time when like who was playing a band called burp and fine young casuals were playing so that was it was just like pink paint that was splattered all over. I, I did get new jeans. Like, that was not a fun time for me. <laughs> I'm sure it was a very fun time for whoever smashed it, it open, though. I'm, it, it had to have been, hopefully. I, I hope it was fun. I hope someone got <laughs> something out of that. <laughs> and if you find out who, you can send him the bill for your new Levi's. No, it might have been Trey or someone before he, lo- before he moved. I don't know. But I'm, I'm, I'm not upset over it. It's all right. <laughs> Glad to hear you moved on. Yeah. Um, but what else was I just going to mention? Oh yeah. We were also talking about, uh, message boards and like mm-hmm. local music message boards, how that was kind of a big thing back like five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Well, I, I don't even know about five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, 10, 15. <laughs> yeah. We're moving back a little bit further. Um, and wait, so you were saying, did the zone have its own message board? It yeah. did. And that okay. was, uh, well, Actually, now I think about it, I'm not sure if it was technically the zones or just linked in there. It was like called the Kansas City Music Forum, I believe mm-hmm. is what it was called. Um, and I think it ended up continuing and being run by Scott from uh, Kill Creek, might have been in charge of that or in some capacity. But 
it was it was an excellent source of, of music. Um, and it's where people found out about shows. Um, it's uh, it was it was good for it had a, a relatively kind of high signal to, to noise ratio. Um, no such thing as really trolls at that point. Um, so uh, there were disagreements, but there wasn't. Uh, it was still usable. Uh, I can't imagine you know a forum that could exist today because it would just be full of people saying you suck. Um, but um, that was very important in the in the late '90s, early 2000s. Um, that that forum. Um, I know that's how I found out about just about every show. Mm. And. Uh, have have all of the too much rock shows that you've thrown? Have those mostly been just like release shows for the records you've put out, or what? What kind of shows have you? Set yeah, up I haven't done any real uh, booking or promotions for years. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, really, not not much since the Eltorian days. I think um, I just don't even know how to do it anymore. Um, uh, in the olden days, it was, you know, put up flyers on every phone pole and I'd walk around for days and, you know, with my staple guns. And But I don't know that anybody's taping flyers up or stapling the poles in Westport anymore. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, so I, I don't know how I would get people there short of just, hey, look, a Facebook event exists. Someone please RSVP. Yeah, it doesn't always work. <laughs> yeah, and, and you know, it, uh, you've, you've done enough shows to know how painful that is when... You know, it's like, all right, show starts at eight. And you're looking around like there's three people here and nine guys from a band who are yeah. staring at you wondering what happened. Yeah, I think we're both kind of notorious for being a little too early to most shows we're at, too, at least like punk shows. I, I am always early. If you tell me the show is going to start at seven, I will show up at seven um, and um, um, I'll probably sit there for two hours until that show really starts. Do you, do you just have like really bad FOMO as well? <laughs> I think that's I've got OCD me. is the issue. Yeah. I um, I want to see a show from start to finish. Every band, uh, and it stems back from like the the, the hardcore days in the in the late eighties, where um, your friends were always the opening band. Um, you know, when when some hardcore band was touring through, when when, you know, when a Vale was coming to town, your friends were the local. The, the local openers and you wanted to be there early to support them and you were, you know your band was in the same situation so you wanted them to come up and support you um so uh, i still believe in like supporting that that opener um and for me it it being able to see that whole show uh, from from opener to final encore is, is really important i feel i don't know kind of queasy when i don't so there have been times when I'm like, well, I would be 10 minutes late to the show, so I can't go because if I went and I'd missed the first 10 minutes, I would just be disturbed all night. So just skip the show entirely. Yeah. So that doesn't happen too often, does it? It happened to me just a couple of days ago. <laughs> um, Don't want to name any names? No, 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 no. I, 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 I showed up late on accident. Um, the... Um, Mini bar recently has been really good about putting set times up, like mm. actual set times. Like this band's playing at eleven fifteen, um, and there was a show uh, the other night. Um, the Giants chair? No, no. This oh. was uh, this was the the, the high waisted the coax mm. uh, show, and it was supposed to have started at nine thirty according to the website. And I showed up at nine twenty two, and the first band had actually started at nine. What? And yeah, I felt really bad for them because like no one was there, but the website didn't even say it was supposed to happen yet. And then later it was like fairly packed for the coax. 
I'm sorry, the Cokes. Cokes. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Um, uh, f- so it was fairly packed with them, so I felt bad for that first band, Megalacoil, who played to like nobody, mm. and mostly because the venue kind of screwed them. And uh, yeah, so you do, in addition to the photos and videos and the show write ups, you do um, the podcast, the Too Much mm-hmm. Rock podcast, and that's basically all just stuff that you're kind of currently listening to? Yeah, it's. Um, I like boundaries. If you just said, hey, give me a, you know, a half hour of music every week, I'd go crazy. Like, what do I put on there? I mean, I used to do uh, radio shows in college, and, um, and, and I enjoyed that element, but it was you know, a, a two-hour show or a three-hour show, and I could decide, hey, what Sex Pistols track do I want to put on there or whatever um, back in those days. Uh, but when I was looking at podcasts, now, um, I, I kind of thought I can take the same story that Too Much Rock uses. And, and, and Too Much Rock is just what shows I'm at what I, and what, thing, what things are entering into my life. And that's what the podcast is. It's just what, how does music enter my life? Um, so every record I get, I listen to, and then I play a track on the podcast. So it doesn't matter if I just picked up uh, a, a shoes record from 1979 or if it's something, you know, uh, brand new, um, it's going to get a play on the podcast, uh, which is mostly good. But sometimes I'll be like, "Sorry, guys, I picked up this you know classic Tammy Wynette country album, and I also picked up this folk metal album by Vintersorg, and I got to try to figure out how to fit them onto the podcast with you know five or six other songs in a half hour and make it listenable." Uh, which sometimes it may not be. <laughs> But, so, yeah, you'll, you'll you'll put stuff on there that you just don't enjoy sometimes. Well, that hopefully that doesn't happen because yeah. while I um, every bit of music I get ends up on that podcast, I'm pretty selective about what I get. Yeah, um, it, it's all it's all like stuff you buy on vinyl and. It, it's a mix. Sometimes yeah. it's things I buy on vinyl, and sometimes it's things where a PR person has said, hey, check out this band, and I will. I'll check them out. I'll listen to the links and go like, yeah, that sounds like something I could work with, and then I'll commit to that, and then I listen to it for a week or two, listen to it in uh, kind of a, a couple of different surroundings, uh, you know, on the computer, um, in the car, um, headphones, not headphones, enough to kind of figure out where that album works, because I'm sure you've experienced like some albums sounds so much better in a moving car with the windows down and some sound better on a quiet night with headphones on. And so I, I try to listen to a record in, in different ways. Um, but then I'm going to play it. Now, if like the PR person or the band that I saw live that I bought their record and like, oh, they were fantastic live. And then you get home and you like listen to the record and like, oh, this, this isn't good at all. I'm going to play that on the podcast still. And I'm going to say, you know, hey, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose. Um, uh, bear with me, and we're gonna we're gonna play this record that I think could have been, should have been much better than it is. And you're just gonna give it to your audience, like just how you're getting it. That's yeah. And, you know, it, there was a reason I got it right. So if it was a band that I had seen live and I really enjoyed, it's very easy to play this record and say, hey, this record is a bit of a disappointment. There's so much more energy live, or live there's so much more power, or yeah. there's more intensity that you're not getting on this record. So I can play a record that's not as good as it should be, or that's maybe not even good, mm. but I can still tell a story and say this is why this is important, or this is um, uh, and this is why it matters. Sometimes I do that with uh, records that just have gotten so much buzz. 
and you hear like a million people say, oh, this record's great, this record's great. And then I'm like, all right, fine, I'll get that record. And I come home from Mills and put it on. And like, I just don't see what people are excited about because this just doesn't speak to me. But I know that a million people love that record, right? It made everyone's best year in list or whatever. So just because I think it's no good, obviously my tastes aren't the, the end of it all. So I don't feel bad about playing on the podcast, even though I think it's not a good record because I know that I'm probably in the minority on that one. Do you have a pretty massive vinyl collection at this point? I try to um, buy and sell pretty quick. Yeah. Um, for, for years, I had rooms of vinyl. Um, and just moving with that, when you're packing up 30 different record crates of 12 inches and trying to move. I mean, I moved to Texas in 1993, and all of my possessions were like, here is a duffel bag of my clothes and 30 crates of records. And um, I moved around a lot um, over that, like the next 10 years from then. And I was like, I, I just can't handle it. So I slowly um, got rid of records, got them to people who wanted them. Um, and uh, I, I, I cherished coming home with a new record. I love putting it on the turntable, uh, watching it spin, reading through, hopefully got some lyrics. Um, because I'm really bad about picking out lyrics without a sheet. Um, but for me, I'm happy with that download code because that can go anywhere with me. I travel a lot, and it's just, you know, I'm not going to pack a turntable and, and a bunch of records in a backpack and, and head off to work in South America with it. And how, how, like, do you have a good estimate of how many you usually have at one time, though? Uh, a couple hundred. Are are there some that you just like completely refuse to sell off? Yeah, there, there, there are a lot of seven inches that um, just really just mean a lot to me uh, mm. from bands that I was very associated with or very much a, a part of a particular scene or time. That like, well, if I if I came across the right person that was like, oh man, I've been looking at that for years, I'd be like, all right, fine, it's yours. Mm. But what are some of those records? Um, wow, there's a, a 10 inch I have from a band called the problematics in, uh, Indianapolis that, uh, I don't know, just the right time, right place when you listen to that record. And it's like, so it's sitting on my shelf still right front and center. And, uh, I've never thought, you know, I need to get rid of that. Um, uh, it, it's it's never that like they're fantastic records because I get rid of a lot of fantastic records. It's always ones that, or you know maybe um, there's a it was a band called Vampire Lesbos, which was one of the very first punk shows I ever saw, um, and um, like the next day I found that record used at uh, Missing Link, I think was the name of the record store that existed at that time, and I uh, Kansas City, no, no no Indianapolis, and. Um, so that record there, and it's it's like neon pink and black and, and drippy vampire lesbos writing. Um, that, that's one that, you know, it's not even that good of a record, but it's one that I'll keep forever. And I don't know, like, I, I definitely want to have him on the podcast next time he's in town because he's a definitely, like, a really huge, like, Kansas City record collector. I'm sure you know uh, Greg Stitt. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he did. I send him a lot of records, actually. Yeah. yeah, I always see you guys, like, going back and forth on Twitter, talking about, like, new, like, Kansas City albums coming out and everything. 
he also had started an Instagram uh, feed of just yeah. documenting analog physical yeah, records analog that come out at analog KC. I think that's it. Yeah, um, and uh, and so a lot of times he's posting like some record that came out in you know nineteen um, you know seventy nine that he wasn't around for in Kansas City and 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 I wasn't or he was, he was probably maybe he was born I don't know but he certainly wasn't you know at the clubs yeah. uh, that I'd never heard of before and he's like oh yeah check this out they sound like this or that so I've been picking up records um uh, uh based on things that that I see there uh from him uh so it's not just like what's coming out it's like what happened that I missed mm. and he did uh, a Kansas City music blog too it was called mm-hmm. Riot on the Plaza yeah and that's always like if I'm ever Googling, like, any old Kansas City <laughs> band, he, he'll usually have, like, some kind of article on it, so... Yeah, I, I miss that site. Um, I, in, in fact, it's still part of my uh, RSS feed, so if he ever posts something new, it's going to pop up on my uh, on my feed, and I'll yeah. be able to see it, but... It's been a few years, though, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. He did... He, he wrote something the other day for um, uh, a publication and said that it kind of was his first time in a, in a long time and wondered if that was the start of a, a resurgence, so I hope so, because... It's good to have multiple voices. And he's living in Austin, Texas he's, right now? He's in Austin, yeah. I wonder... Like, do, do you know what he does out there? Like, his, I don't. Yeah. I, yeah. So I, think so it, I guess a, a part of me hopes he, he'll move back sometime because he has a lot of knowledge of the Kansas City music scene. Yeah, and, and, and he works very hard to keep up with the scene, even though he's not here physically. Yeah, he, I, I think he's like definitely the biggest Kansas City music fan outside of Kansas City. <laughs> yeah, so. I think he wins that award. Uh, but yeah, what, what have been some of your favorite shows that you've covered for Too Much Rock this year? This year? Well, actually, one of my favorite shows this year is one that I didn't cover at all. Um, it was uh, the... Sheer Mag's show in the basement of Blind Tiger. Yeah. And I, I came to cover that show, and I shot some really bad photos, and it was very dark and very crowded. And then when Sheer Mag played, it was just an explosion, and there was no way I could get any photos that meant anything at all. It would have just been random blurs. Um, so I put down the camera and just jumped in the middle, and, uh, I mean, everyone was dancing and jumping and just was fantastic um probably the best show i've seen in kansas city in the last couple of years um but there's absolutely no mention of that on the too much rock website and you but you did not quite enjoy their lawrence their recent lawrence set as much did you no i think the band sounded great yeah um but um the crowd was just dead i mean there was uh, no motion no energy everyone stood back three feet from the uh, stage with their arms crossed and watched the band and a couple of people tried to dance, but it, it, there's just no energy. I, I'm, I'm not sure what, what the issue was. I don't know if it was the venue or the, the fans or, or what, but uh, and it was not good. Was, was it you that tweeted, like, it might be the, the NPR New York Times effect? Yeah, I wondered, <laughs> uh, because, I mean, you had that big New York Times article saying Rock's Not Dead, it's just female-fronted, and then, you know, the, the uh, NPR is always... Um, been loving on Sheer Mag since like the second seven inch. Um, but I didn't see those people there. Um, and, and to be honest, those people are kind of my peers. But I didn't see anyone with their, their wait, wait, don't tell me tote bag or whatever <laughs> in, the, in the crowd. So um, and, and it's hard to think that, you know, the, the kids that were up front, you know, the, the, 
the 19 to 20 year old kids that uh, are at KU uh, really were like, well, I've read about it on the New York Times and I came to the show and well, it just maybe wasn't what I wanted to see. It's, it's hard to imagine that that, that that had an effect, but. Yeah, I, I couldn't quite, like I was only there for the first band, but like I couldn't even quite pinpo- like pinpoint like where everyone had heard about it other than maybe just hearing from the bottleneck. I don't know, because like, I don't think like the KU radio station had much to do with it. There, I don't know. It, it might have just been like Fally's blog, I Heart Local Music, but like, cause I guess they like presented it. So yeah. maybe that was it. But yeah, it was kind of a a weird crowd for that, I guess. Yeah. So, uh, so I mean, that that would have been one of those situations where you know you you just have totally different expectations, um, yeah. and you you walk away. Uh, either excited or or bummed out and you, you win some you lose some yeah i think i think like a total of like five kansas city punks like made the trip out like so yeah yeah <laughs> michaela was there buying shots but uh it wasn't uh wasn't a big presence from casey punks yeah i think i think bennett was there too but he i think he i think he told me he was sick so he was just kind of like <laughs> hanging in the corner like yeah she really like yeah but yeah uh, what, what else have you been excited about this year that you've seen? Uh, that I've seen? I really enjoyed um, a Blind Tiger show that was a couple of, of Dallas bands, uh, Loafers, and, oh gosh, what was the, the first band? Uh, it'll come to me, but, but I'm always excited. I go to a lot of shows that I just really don't have any notions about what it's going to be um especially at blind tiger it's a block from my house uh, it's five dollars to get in and um so it's really easy i listen to one song on Bandcamp and go like yeah i can do that yeah um and was that that band the lizzie board yeah lizzie yeah. boredom yeah. thank you and but both of those were just excellent so i really enjoyed that show i really enjoyed uh the cokes and high wasted just uh last week at um uh, mini bar and they're coming back through to play the replay with uh, uh, drugs and addicts on uh, middle of October and I think I'll probably make that trip as well which it's always a little odd when a band plays a Lawrence show and a Kansas City show but and this is I think the first time I think that I've like I want to see both of those yeah and do you do you really even you don't make it out to Lawrence all too often do you I don't there, there's a lot happening in Kansas City yeah. um uh, it, it used to be uh, when I first moved here, Kansas City didn't have a lot going on, and I was at out at the bottleneck or at the replay like three or so nights a week, uh, driving back and forth. Uh, but but now, if I want to see a show, um, there's there's plenty of local options that don't involve me driving um, and uh, get me home an hour earlier. Um, so um, there's there's a there's a there's a threshold, right? So, like, I can say, well, this band is good, but this band's pretty good, and they're real close, so I'll just go to the pretty good band. Um, it's got to be something exciting, uh, like that uh, the Screaming Female show that's coming up. Yeah, that'll be uh, fun. Um, I will drive out to Lawrence for that, because I've seen that band a number of times, and I just love them. So, uh, good shows are always going to get me out to Lawrence, uh, but it's going to take a really good show. Mm. And... Um so yeah, we uh, did we did we talk about this before or during? I'm forgetting now that <laughs> you just haven't really contributed to 
No, yeah, I, 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 we, yeah, we, we talked, talked about, about that. that. <laughs> Man, I'm, I'm pretty forgetful sometimes. Um, do you, do you usually do like a, a year end list? I do, and I kind of break it down into a number of different things. I really should be doing like my favorite shows of the year, uh, but I don't, which is odd because that's what I spend most of my time doing. I definitely count down my favorite records. Um, I count down my favorite um, songs, uh, which is uh, I, I'm very much a believer in the album. When I get an album, I want to listen to it all the way through in the order that it's supposed to be, and I've got to you know get like the full vibe of it. But ultimately, I'm kind of a singles guy, um, and it, it's it's a particular song that's going to usually like just give me all that energy and, and really excite me. So I count down the songs, and then I count down albums, and depending on the year, it may even separate things out to EPs. Like last year, there was a lot, a lot of really good EPs released that I kind of gave that list as well. Do you do that on the podcast, or do you just write that out? Or uh, both. I write it out, but uh, the podcast, the the last one of the year, will be like the countdown of the top seven or eight, whatever fits in a half hour, uh, as I play those songs and talk about those records. Mm. And uh, so, how would you really describe? Like, because I don't know. At least once you do a lot of photography, you kind of notice, like other other photographers styles and stuff like mm-hmm. how would you really describe your own photography style yeah i i kind of i shoot very tight um i don't get a lot of crowd shots i try it's almost like i'm doing portraits of each individual mm-hmm. musician um i've got pretty low vision and i'm completely blind in my right eye so from i don't see in like panoramic so I don't shoot in panoramic as well. I very much focus on individuals. I shoot with a tight, usually like an 85 millimeter um, lens, and I'm focused very much on um, an individual. And then kind of, that's kind of what I shoot as well. I don't generally shoot flash. For years, I used to use an off-camera flash to give me a little more light. Um, now, um, one, it just feels weird to add artificial light because I'm changing the experience. Um, and so I, 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 I don't usually do that. I love people who do. Um, and there's some photographers that are just fantastic with, with flashes and building nice high contrast photos out of them. Um, but, uh, it just feels weird to me. Um, I try to shoot color whenever I can only when it's a venue that has like one very bright light and no other lights. And that bright light is like red. Do I have to switch to something else? So, um, it's, it's hard to shoot color in Blind Tiger. It's hard to shoot color in Minibar, but it's really easy in some place like uh, the Riot Room, which has really stepped up their light game recently. Mm. It's really about the taking what the club gives you. Mm. And um, so do a lot of... Are there any, like, reviews and stuff like that that have really, like, stuck out to you that you've done either like recently or just way back that have gotten like a lot of response or just ones that you are like particularly proud of? Hmm. To to be honest, I never hear, no no one ever reaches out and like, oh gosh, I really liked that one. Or, you know, that really um, uh, summed things up well, or that made me think of, you know, something differently. Um, I, I, when I have time, uh, my show accounts and I'm, I'm always, particular to call them show accounts not reviews because for a long time my show accounts were like 
Let me tell you about what I was listening to when I was driving to the show, or let me tell you about what my shoes were like, because that was just as much as part of the experience as whatever was happening on stage. Mm. Um, but so when I have time and I, I have able to write more, I try to put some context around a show and why it was interesting or what, what, what it made me think about. Um, and, and those ones are ones that make me happy when, when it's shorter and it's really just kind of describing the bands and what they sounded like or what they did. Um, it, it, it's fine and it's nice to have that, that sort of history. Um, but not as, not as interesting, but neither one of those, like, do I get a lot of feedback on the mm-hmm. only time I get feedback is, is when I've, I've ticked somebody off and then they're sure to let me know that like, you know, I'm a loser and, um, whatever else they can throw at me and then that, that I've got it all wrong. And those are the ones that you hear about. I have, uh, like some folders in my email. One is called like the kudos folder. Like when people were like, Oh, I really like that. And it's got like three or four things in it <laughs> in the last 20 years. And then I've got like the, you suck folder, which has like 50 emails in it from people telling me how bad and, and, uh, and how I got something wrong about their band. Yeah, uh, you spelled our guitarist's name wrong. Like, yes, I think uh, I think I did that to Drippy's once. Uh, like Bennett became Benny or something like yeah, that. Yeah, that was it. I went back and corrected that one. So uh, uh, I thought you were all apologies. <laughs> yeah, I thought you might have just like become really good pals with him. Yeah, and like really, oh yeah, good old Benny. Yeah, yeah, really chummy. We've got pet names for each other. <laughs> but um, yeah, people are always very happy to be vocal when. Something's messed up, but when when you do something good, like yeah, I'm not gonna say anything about that. Yeah, it's, and you know, so uh, it's nature, I guess. You know, now I think that feedback is is, is different. Um, you know, you can judge when things are good or bad based on retweets or likes or hearts or whatever that you know whatever uh, vehicle there is there, and say, well. People must have liked this one. When I see that, you know, a video of, you know, the uncouth has been viewed, you know, um, 8,000 times, I know that, well, something about this struck a chord with some people. Um, When I see that something's been viewed three times, I think, well, nobody really cares about this band. Uh, So um, uh, you get a little bit of that, but you don't get, you know, the messages that say, oh, my gosh, you changed my life. Occasionally, I'd get somebody that would send me a note on the podcast saying, hey, I heard this band on their podcast. They're really good. I went out and bought the album. And that's great. I love it when that happens. But that doesn't happen a lot. But um, you're, you're, you're talking about how, like, you're, in your show accounts, you, you'll often, like, kind of include, like, kind of details about, like, your very personal experience at that show and just personal stuff in general from, like, that day. But... Are, are those types of articles stuff that you really enjoy reading from other people, or is that just like no. because you enjoy documenting that for yourself? I do. Um, like my favorite kind of zines are always just like the travel zines. Um, I just the mundane elements of people's lives, and where they've been, what are they doing, and what are they thinking about, and I love those sorts of zines. And that's um, that's how my show accounts were really written that way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I follow things in a chronological order. So um, the headliner doesn't start, and then you don't, like, at the end say, oh, and also these two other bands played, and they were fine. Mm-hmm. Um, the headliner gets no more focus usually than the opening bands because, for me, it, you know, time marched on in that direction, and that's how I document things. 
Um, so yeah, I, I like I like reading things that way, um, and uh, so that's the way I write. And I don't know if that's good, bad, or indifferent. Hmm. And do you do you think you enjoy reading those just because it's like kind of comforting to read sometimes? Like, oh, these people have these types of thoughts too, and like all that kind of stuff. Or yeah, and it, it, sometimes it's you know there's some solidarity there, and all oh, these people are struggling with the same things I am. And sometimes it's I'm just entirely interested to see the perspective of this other person that is very foreign to me. So I'll pick up you know zines that you know uh, it, when when. When I'm traveling, Kansas City doesn't have an excellent place. You know, occasionally something interesting will pop up, or Prosperos, or you know, Zine Cons, or whatever. But when I'm traveling, and you know, I go to the the record stores, like, all right, I'll take these four, and they're you know a dollar each, and I can't go wrong there, right? Um, and then I'm like, oh, I'm learning about what it's like for, you know, uh, a black trans man to serve in the military. And I'm like. I have no context for that. I don't know anything about that, but but I'm learning something, and I, I'm interested in, in in kind of that story. Um, so, um, whether or not somebody is very interested in um, in Giant's Chair, or they're just interested in what is it like for this middle aged guy to go see a, a band that meant a whole lot to him, you know, 25 years ago, um, maybe maybe that's interesting either way. Awesome, and. I think that's most of what I wanted to talk about. Um, so, yeah, people can uh, read shuttlecockmusic.com, and there's a, a web store there. You can buy a T-shirt and support the site that way. And there's the Shuttlecock House Party coming up on October 7th, and that's in Kansas City with Solomon and Devil's Den, and you can get details on that on the website. And you can follow at Shuttlecock Mag and listen to the podcast on iTunes and watch on YouTube. And yeah, Sid, where can people find your work? Yeah, it's too much rock.com is the website. Um, I am on Facebook a little um, and uh, Instagram and Twitter all at, uh, at Sid Much Rock. Um, you can find me there. And I try to post a little something different everywhere. You can even follow me on Google Plus. Oh, that's exciting! Yeah, that's that's where everybody's. That's where it's going in that's 2018. Where, yeah, <laughs> the kids are already on that, I'm sure. Um, and yeah, but I try to put something different on each of those sites. And like the Google Plus is just like these are my favorite videos. Like when I see something every week, I'm like, oh, I really like this video, so I talk about it a little bit and post it on Google Plus. So I, I'm everywhere <laughs> if you hunt me down. Sid much rock most places. Awesome. Well, thanks for coming on. Oh, thank you very much for having me.